Welcome back to the Queer Public Podcast, where we ask critical questions about queer identity, politics, and our queer culture. In today's episode, we're asking about something that we all have to deal with, learn to manage, and that shapes queer identity. We're talking about hair, good gay hair. In queer circles, hair is political. It defines how we want to be seen, where we sit in our queer identity, and the ease of which we can navigate the world. I've been obsessed with what makes a good gay haircut for the better part of a decade. So what is good gay hair? In my search, I found a place where hair dreams come true, where amazing stylists talk hair politics with you. They'll talk hair health, and about gender expression, and about real-life queer life. I'm your host, Erin McGregor. My name is Sparrow Fox. I am a colorist at Folklore Salon. I'm Madden Lopez, and I'm the curly hair slash ethnic hair specialist. I'm Joyce, and um, I'm one of the newest members of Folklore team. Hi, I'm Coral Lovera. I am apprentice stylist at Folklore Salon. I'm Pony Lee. I own Folklore Salon in Silver Lake. Just off Sunset Boulevard in Los Angeles is Folklore Salon. We're at the, like that middle land where it's like two blocks that way, it's Silver Lake, and then over here it's Echo Park. I think it was 2011 that I decided to open Folklore. I had just left the Pleasure Chest where I had a really great experience coming out as trans and queer. And I had a really difficult time finding work in shops doing hair. I didn't think I was going to do hair again because it was really intimidating. It didn't feel like I was welcomed. I didn't feel like the type of people that I wanted in my chair or uh, my community felt welcome in a lot of the spaces. I think that a lot of the people in salons don't have the language to really see people how they want to be seen. I just kind of was fed up with the different shops that I was going to and having to explain my life because there was questions. There was always that question of like identity, like I'm not sure where to put you. Like, and it's all in the back of people's minds when they look at me, you know, like, are you a boy? Are you a girl? Are you gay boy? Or like, what is happening here? And because they don't know where to put you, they don't know how to feel. I just wanted a place to work, you know? I wanted a place to work and I wanted a place where I can feel safe. And I had no idea that a lot of other people felt that same way. And folklore just ended up being that space. Everybody here has a different specialty that like brings something important to the table, you know? Um, also, everybody's identities are so far from each other, but so very parallel. We can see class and race and sex and gender and all these different things. And we may have different opinions, but we can talk about them openly and have space 
for all those things. I didn't realize how special it has become. Someone named Elliot can kind of come in and say, hey, um, I want to be seen as Jane or vice versa. And, and it's respected and known and not questioned. Like I see that and I'm like, whoa, this is, this is like magic. This something magical just happens like every fucking day here. Let's, let's go in and... I ask we'll Pony to take me in for a grand tour. We start walking around the small shop. Um, okay. Well, when I first looked at the space, it was, there was so much stuff in here. Like, you couldn't see the walls, but, and you couldn't barely even see the floor. But I saw the floor, and it, the floor is all hardwood. It's actually... Uh, an implant from an old Victorian in um, Montecito Heights and the patina on it is just perfect and um, and I, I pulled some carpet and I was like oh my god this is gorgeous this is perfect the colors the um, you know the imperfections but like how beautiful it just looked as a whole um, I was like yeah this this feels warm this feels really inviting and I think that's one of the things I wanted to wanted people to feel when they walked into folklore because a lot of salons are very sterile, they're very cold. I mean, the, the salon was built on donation alone. That's how the rent happened, that's how the labor happened, was people donating their time. And a lot of the things had either been gifted or found um, and... Uh, or dolled up. You're looking at uh, like a like 50 style vanity with kind of a, a round mirror. Each mirror is a little different. Um, I feel like the middle one is like the princess one because it's got the light ups on the sides, and of course that's sparrow foxes. Um, and um, each each of the vanities came with a different story, and like the name folklore, everybody or everything kind of comes from some type of background or story. In the first chair when you walk in is Madden Lopez. Because there is a difference in the way that POC are brought up as opposed to people that are not of color, it does make their queer struggles a little bit different, especially when it has to do with hair. Madden has been doing hair for a long time. I actually started braiding hair when I was about 13 or 14, um, trading twisties for lunch tickets and bus tokens just to, like, be able to be self-sufficient. Madden went to hair school at 16, graduated at 18, and has been doing hair ever since. Working with a lot of QPOC folks that come in, not really feeling comfortable in a barbershop setting, but not feeling comfortable in a beauty shop setting. So it kind of goes beyond the division that happens within salons in general. They're very divided by sex and also by ethnicity. And so you can kind of encompass all of those things. As a female-bodied QPOC person, I was forced to have long hair. I had to relax it. I was not allowed to use my natural texture. I would get to school and I'd wash it and I just wanted an afro. You know, I just wanted to wear my natural texture. But we're constantly told, having straight hair, having long hair, 
even having light skin, even though that's not necessarily a part of this, those are attributes of beauty. And none of those things come naturally. And so we use the strongest chemical known to man, sodium hydroxide, to relax our hair, make it straight. And then, you know, we, we put tons of heat on it in order to like create this facade that does not exist. On a rainy day like today, I would have been ducking under, you know, other people's umbrella trying to make sure that no one saw who I really was. Isn't that horrible? And so that being said, keeping it long and then when I first cut my hair off, my family was so very upset, you know. My grandmother would still buy me barrettes, like when you grow your hair out and when you're girly again, you know. And that was that was really what it was. I think that like coming up against that opposition of like who you are as a person isn't okay, not just cutting your hair short, but you've already been trained. I've been getting relaxed since I was in second grade. So already being trained as in like, you need to change who you are in order to fit in. That made it even harder to fit into who we actually are. Cutting it short is one thing, but then not relaxing it is another thing, you know, and letting your natural curls out. I think that it does make it different, which is why I know that the demographic needs to be served. Part of Madden's work is education about caring for black hair. So I have two clients that are Caucasian male, uh, gay couple that is super sweet, um, but they have an adopted son that's full black. And I met one of the dads on set and he was using my curly hair product. And he was like, oh, you're black. Oh, you work in Echo Park. Oh, I have a black son. I'm bringing him to you. And it was really kind of matter of fact. And I said, okay. And he ended up bringing his son in and, you know, I, I showed them the types of products to use, what's going to be moisturizing on his hair. And I mean, this kid is in every single, you know, sport that you could imagine. And his hair was in really bad shape when he came in and he wanted to grow it longer, but he didn't know how to do it. And he's like 12. So he's also at that stage of where, you know, his mustache is going to be growing in soon and his hair is changing anyway. And so I sat with dad and taught him how to pick his son's hair out, like, got them a pick. Actually, I sent them home with the one that I had. And I have this amazing photo of dad just like looking really perplexed, but like picking his son's hair out. And uh, his son kind of like giving the like squint eye like, <laughs> because it hurt. And dad wasn't used to doing it quite yet. But the fact that they're now able to have this conversation around how to work with their son's hair, they ended up getting, you know, I did dreadlocks on him, so now that's just what he does. And they don't have to pick it out anymore, but they found something that works without trying to change him. In a couple of weeks, I was just told that we're gonna be dyeing some of his tips different colors, which is also cool, you know? He, he just really gets to be expressive, and that's what it's about. And so even though this kid in particular is not queer, he has two queer parents that love him and that have been forced in their own lives to be other people. And so the fact that they've had that experience makes it so much more important for them to let him be himself, even if they don't understand what that is. And it's so interesting that all of that is just wrapped up in this kid's hair. <laughs> I know that they've tried to take him to barber shops before, but only one dad will take them in and he already gets looks because he's a white dude. And then, you know, if, if they were to both come in, then it would be a different situation. I don't know what their history is of going into barber shops, but I know that they haven't stopped coming here since the first time that they've come in. And I think that a lot of that has to do with the fact that we're so welcoming of them as a couple 
and we have the ability to be welcoming of their son. And it's the multicultural, multi-textural situation that we have here really covering all of our bases. In the back of the shop is Joyce. I am thrilled to be part of this family and team. It's been a great experience as well as uh, being new residents of Los Angeles and uh, meeting new clients and at the same time rebuilding and, um, and just making people happy. I asked Joyce to describe their hair. My hair, um, it's just past my shoulders, probably hitting my collarbone. My bangs are very high, so it's, it can be a pixie bang or they sometimes they use micro bangs. It's very short, it's very texturized on top and um, it's very tapered on the sides as well and uh, I have a lot in the back so I guess it would be considered um, a modern mullet. So they always joke about it being party in the back, and um, it, there's it, so it has a, a, a shape to it. Um, I've been told I look like Mr. Spock. When people see me, when they see my hairstyle, I believe they know right away I'm queer, and I feel comfortable. I'm proud, and when I'm walking around with it, and I'm, hopefully I can inspire them. I asked Joyce about what good gay hair means. I think it's how each individual, how their personal style, how they um, it helps them identify themselves. Like the shape of the hair is very important. Like I'm tomboy, I like to look androgynous sometimes, so I think that helps. If you don't feel good about your hair, it's psychological, you just don't feel good. That's just the way I look at hair, it's very personal. Next, I wanted to talk to Coral. What makes good gay hair? Well, lately I haven't had any hair envy because I am living my hair dreams. All of my punk hair dreams that I wanted to do when I was younger, even I couldn't because of my job or because conservative household. You know, I didn't get to have the hair that I wanted uh, during my teen years or whatever. I feel that I've had the hair that I want to have for at least five years of my life. And especially after hair school, I've been living all of my hair dreams from um, cutting it on ver various styles to like just really fun dying jobs. And I'm currently experimenting with a trihawk. I'm still deciding whether or not I like it. So. This is the middle, the side, and the other side. Oh wow, so there's like a one inch shaved line? Yeah, there is a, a fade. I'm a, it's like a <laughs> four fade situation. I'm, wow. I, actually, uh, Madden and I are having, having fun with it because it's, uh, it's a good practice on your skills to be able to fade within two inches of hair. Coral has witnessed what happens when someone gets the haircut they're supposed to have. A good haircut is transformative. If you have a vision of what you want and with the help of somebody that has the skills, you can accomplish something that is you. If a haircut represents you and how you feel inside, then it is a good haircut. 
it's a very spectacular thing to witness of how people you know could come in here all shy and um, nervous they're most they're usually very nervous about what's about to happen big changes and then kind of standing up straighter taking a lot of weight out of their head and just feeling complete like a completely different person and shining through like you can see it in their eyes they're very happy with whatever happens and it's very powerful then i sat in the back with sparrow fox she is definitely the cool older sister of folklore i identify as a queer femme I'm very out about who I am and so I'm very I'm always seeking queer femmes to be in my chair because I think that something that I witness and get to lovingly experience here at Folklore is a lot of like butch and androgynous and gender queer identity in the salon and I love that and I also always am feeling the missing footprint of the femme. There's like a lot of different ways of being femme as we know we've got these like rockabilly girls and we've got the super high femmes and there's sort of these punk girls and everybody likes to wear their hair different ways. And it's not just like how their cut is or their color. I try to really pay attention to how people themselves have styled themselves when they are coming through the door, you know, like to look at what, what is their vibe and where are they comfortable and to have honest conversations with people about how they care for their hair and how much time they're willing to put in. Because I think that helps like achieve what they want in a way that's manageable for them and it feels authentic to them and it's not this overstyled, precious experience of hair. You can have really cool hair and it can be really low maintenance. I admit that like one of the things that I love is I love really beautiful, pretty hair. It's something that I love. I mean, I love drag queens too. I want everybody to have like long flowing Goldilocks hair <laughs> all the time. I love mermaid hair, I do. The longer the better, you growing your hair out, get in my chair, let me help you do that. I'm never that stylist that's gonna be like, oh, I just wanna trim and then I take off six inches. I'm never gonna do that to somebody. I always err on the side of caution. I'm growing your hair out, especially when you're dealing with like gender queer and trans identity, it can be like such a thing. So you wanna be really sensitive to that. I think one of the things that happens in here is that we become intimately um, acquainted, acquainted with um, so many people's life experiences and some of the stories are really really heavy and this kid who was just getting ready to graduate high school came and took a bunch of buses and had gone to a couple of different salons trying to get the haircut that they wanted and um, were like flat out denied like a men's haircut basically and it wasn't even like a traditional men's haircut it was like a a Japanese anime boy haircut and I don't know I think I have such a tenderness for people that can't defend themselves it's really is a really hard thing for me to witness and I really care so much about the people in this community and the things that they have to go through to just live their lives and they're not things that I have to fight those are not battles I have to fight and so when someone is someone like that is in my chair and has a need, I just feel like it's so important to be able to really honor them and to be deeply respectful of what they're asking for and without having to ask for their story to just move through that experience with them, like holding them through that experience. And for some people, that's a haircut. It's odd that it's like the top of your head, but like the pinnacle of managing their identity and how they see themselves. 
So it really moved me to have this little person go so out of their way to get this like really simple thing that I don't understand why the world at large just isn't like, who cares what kind of haircut you have? I've seen stylists do it. I don't understand stylists that are like, oh, that would look terrible on you. You shouldn't do that. Like telling people why what they want is not right. I mean, how many of us in life have just been shut down and been told we're wrong about what we think is important or what we like? And I think this is like a huge, aggressive thing to do to a person to tell them that they can't have the haircut they want for whatever reason, because you don't agree with whatever the identity is. So it was pretty moving to have this little person come in, this very small little person desperately wanting to own their own identity. And I had the gift of being the person that could give that to them. Their first real haircut, (laughs) you know, it's really special. It was like a fluke. I don't know what happened. Like, I don't even have shortcuts available on the website. You can't go online and book one with me. So it was just, you know, sometimes you have to trust the universe. We're the next generation. Right. Like, the kids are looking up to us. Yeah. Did we ask for it? No, but that's just what happens (laughs) naturally. I think something that happened, we had a young woman who was our receptionist. One of the things that she said when... um, And she's very out as trans, so I can say that. She said that when she first started working here, one of the things that was so hard for her about her life was that she couldn't vision for herself what her life could be. And especially as a queer person, she just felt like it was always going to be a really hard struggle. And that coming in here and getting to work with us allowed her to have a different vision for herself, that she could be a whole person, that she could be a person with a job, like a lady with a job who has a life that's not just about being part of the queer struggle, that she could have relationships and she could expect that she would earn enough income to support herself in a comfortable way and that she could have self-respect and boundaries and that she could still have fun and be really who she is and now she's like grown up and like flown out of the nest and she's had two different jobs and right now she's doing this incredible um work educating people about hiv and like she has this like job where she gets to dress nice and she bought herself a new car and she's just so proud of herself and to know that someone just meeting you and witnessing what you do is the thing that allowed them to believe in themselves to step up in any way that's a huge gift huge gift and I think that we get to see that all the time in here we see the way that people are connected we are human beings who are connected and it really is a big deal just the fact that we exist If you had told me that I would not only make a living, but I'd make a comfortable living working in a salon that is very, like, we're very out. We're not hiding the fact that we're a safe space. You know, it's very clear, like, people Google queer hair and they find us. I probably would have just been like, yeah, right. (laughs) We don't even really advertise. So it's just kind of mind-blowing that's become what it has become. All of us have the experience of working in those salons that nobody likes to go into. You're always uncomfortable. It's very austere. The girls at the front desk are not very nice. They're not welcoming, certainly. The stylist is always so busy that you don't even really get to spend time with the stylist. And one of my favorite things about this place is that we don't overbook. We take on the work we can handle. 
and we spend individual time connecting with our clients. So we have a human relationship with people that goes beyond just like I'm touching your head, which is like a really intimate thing to shampoo someone's hair, to see them with their hair like slicked back. People come in here with their dirty ass hair. That's like real intimate, okay? <laughs> you know, I mean, it's like a really intimate experience if you allow it to be. And I think that something that's happened is like, we have relationships with the people that we work on their hair. It matters. I look at my schedule and I look to see like, who do I get to see today? Not who do I have to see today? That's a big difference from where I come from as far as hair goes. I think it's learning to have a kind of faith I've never had. And it's this space that has given me that. This is my home and I love these people and I would do battle for them. Pony Lee still owns Folklore, but there's a new family now. Joyce works out of a different salon, Sparrow works out of her home in Glendale, and Coral followed Madden to Project Q. Project Q operates out of a community center in Chinatown, Los Angeles, and is a nonprofit organization that provides safe space for LGBTQ homeless youth where they can receive mentorship classes, workshops, along with free gender-affirming haircuts. In their own personal journey and their interactions with queer youth, Madden has seen firsthand the difference a good haircut can make. When I came out, I was like kind of shoved back in a few times um, and taken to reparative therapy and things like that, and you know, been in and out of foster home situations. It's always a little bit more of a struggle to be able to come out as a queer person when you're living in a more religious space. But when I finally landed in a foster home that was with people of color, after hopping around to different places, the woman sat me down and did my hair and made me feel like a person again. And even though I was just a number to the city and to the county, I felt like a human being again. And so Project Q is like going back and helping that person. So I work with a lot of the homeless queer youth at the Gay and Lesbian Center and in different places, most of which have been kicked out of their homes for being queer. Most of them are people of color and all of them need to feel good about themselves. It's funny because it's such a niche piece of our community and it's not supporting them with food and it's not supporting them with housing but it's supporting them with self-esteem and so even if you don't have housing but you feel good about yourself it will be easier for you to get housing because you know you deserve it and so that's really what it comes down to is being a guidance for them i tell them my story all the time and let them know i've been in your shoes i've been here you know and I work really hard for what I have. I don't have much, but I work hard for it. And if you work hard, you deserve to have whatever you want. So it turns out good gay hair isn't about a specific look or vibe. How could it be? It's about how we feel good, feel seen, and affirmed in our own skin. This episode was produced by me, Erin McGregor, editing and sound design by Ariana Martinez. Music supervision from Homo Grounds, Lynn Casper. We heard music from Foxglove, Shy to Buzzard, and My's Darling. If you love what we're doing on our little show, there are lots of ways to help us keep making queer public. Visit patreon.com slash queer public 
to get access to lots of cool behind-the-scenes stuff and swag. Donations start at $1 a month. Follow us on social media at Queer Public. Subscribe to the show to be the first to get new episodes and rate us on iTunes to help other people find the show. Next time on Queer Public. Like, I worship you, but you're doing that to me? This is crazy. And they actually, as a souvenir from the show, take off the dress that they wore during the show and give it to me. Which is like, what? Like, I remember in the car home being like, this is theirs. Like, I'm not supposed to have this. I'm your host, Aaron McGregor. Thanks for listening. Crush, crush.